welcome to Wrestling with the Angels, a podcast that hopes to encourage you as we limp along this life together. My name is Zach, and I'm here with my pastor and special guest, <laughs> Reverend Oren Connor. Hello, everyone. And, you know, I've never actually called you Reverend, and I don't really know what Reverend means. It doesn't you, matter. Just call me pastor. <laughs> but do you know what Reverend means? I, th- I think it's just someone who's revered, you know, okay. so someone, you know, a... I guess it's an old word, a holy man, a pastor, a priest, yeah, someone who's revered as this, you know, moral I like, figure. Yeah, I like pastor because I know where that comes from. That yeah, comes from the old, Latin. right, right. It comes from the Latin, which means shepherd. Yeah, like so, pastor or something like that. Yeah, so pastor tells people what you do. Uh-huh. Reverend sort of signifies like your position, maybe, or mm. your status, which I'm not entirely comfortable with, but whatever. Okay, so now I'm going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, That's but good. do you have to have a like seminary degree to be considered a reverend or can you just, is it like a, so, is it like a respectful title? It's a respectful to- title. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, typically if you have a seminary degree beyond, like if you have a doctorate, typically go by doctor, uh-huh. which so some you're not reverend. Very, Do you- <laughs> so you cease to be reverend anymore and you become doctor or whatever. <laughs> I would want to be called Dr. Reverend. Dr. Reverend. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think reverend is just a man who is revered. Okay, and by his church, by the by the, the the by the community, and I think that's the kind of the 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 general term. Well, not to be sentimental or super awkward, but I definitely revere you. Well, thank you, man. Um, and so Angie and Clint uh, have very good reasons why they're not here. Um, I'll let them share those in a later cast if they so choose. Yeah. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is um, a sermon text that you're preparing mm-hmm. for. Uh, this upcoming Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when I got off the phone with you about what we were going to talk about, immediately answer or questions started coming to my mind mm-hmm. that I've never really asked you, but I've always been kind of curious about. Even yeah, sure. sitting under your sermons, these sort for of questions. Years, years, yeah, well, yeah. these sort of questions yeah. come up. Yeah. And so the first one I have for you is how do you prepare for your sermons? And you could even talk about specifically this text you're yeah. preparing for. So as you know, I preach through books of the Bible primarily. And so the preparation process has a lot that's on the front end, mm. um, depending on the text. Like reading commentaries? Well, or... setting the scene, the text, the context okay. primarily. So I was thinking about this a while ago. Like, I'm preaching through First Peter right now. The context in First Peter is the same throughout the letter. Right, uh-huh. like it's the church sitting listening to to the words of Peter. They would have read it. They would have heard this publicly. all at one time. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like all in a day they're hearing this. Yeah. Whereas if you preach a text in say Exodus, we went through last year, the context of the story changes a little bit as you go through the narrative. Mm. They, they start like we start in Genesis fifty. They're in the promised land. They go to Egypt for help. They end up settling there. Four hundred years later, chapter one. They're slaves, and then they move out of Egypt to the wilderness, and there's this whole sort of contextual kind of transfer or transition. It's a, yeah, it's a narrative story. Yeah. Right. And so when I'm preparing, the the front-end work helps me get ready for the whole thing, but typically I take a section of text at a time, and I, I don't preach topically, but every text has a topic or multiple topics sometimes. Yeah. And so when I'm preparing, my, my primary question is, what does the text say? And how do I communicate that to the people that are listening to me? And I keep in mind that the people who are listening to me are usually the same people every week. Uh huh. Yeah. Where this is not a different crowd every week. This is the same group. And so I think pastors, 
Um, say, Which is pro- you would say is not for not every church experiences that. No, but no, certainly ours. No. But I think that's what pastors have to do. It's yeah. it's your flock, mm. you know. So while the the exact crowd is not the same always, ninety percent of the people in the room are there the week before, and they'll be the next week too. And so when I'm preparing, I'm thinking about my people that'll be listening to this. I take into to to, to consideration strangers, visitors, people that are watching us online, maybe. But primarily, it's my people that, that what they what I feel like they need to hear. But my first concern is what is the text actually saying? Mm. Um, I kind of addressed this this past week with the sermon on honoring the emperor and mm. how some pastors would be leaned toward a certain way of interpreting that that is not actually what the text is addressing. Yeah, going against the text, exactly. kind of using other texts to make this one say not what it says. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll find excuses. I use the illustration of a drunk using a lamppost more for support than illumination, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's what we do with the Bible sometimes. And so when I'm preparing a text, what does God want us to see here? What is he telling us? Mm. And then how do I communicate that to my, to my people? Yeah, I think there's there is an assumption there that you and I both share in that God is speaking through the text. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like what you said that you, you want to proclaim what you feel mm-hmm. God is saying yeah. in the text. Yeah. And we do believe God is speaking yeah. through the and text. And I get excited about words. I think, I think mm-hmm. those transition words, those conjunctions, like when like this week when it says four comma, this is the will of the Lord. Like I get excited about that mm. because it tells you that everything that was just said is really important. Has a purpose. And everything that after it has a very important purpose and they connect together with yeah. that word for, mm-hmm. you know? And so those, those little words, but are for, or therefore, they get me excited because it shows a deepening and application of what you're learning. And so I get excited about that. So when I'm preaching, I want to yeah. Bring that out for the people. I'm just very thankful you've never said that this is a big butt. <laughs> this I'm is saying, a very big I'm theological butt. This is an important butt. <laughs> this is not a big butt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I may have said it in joking a couple times. But uh, this yeah. is a big butt. It makes butt. it awkward for everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, how much time have you spent on this sermon, and how much time do you typically spend on your okay. sermons so, preparing for? So that's a sliding scale for the most part. So like I said before, <laughs> I do a lot of front end work for context and kind of theme of the book. And, and so that work's already been done. You only have to do that once. I don't, uh, yeah, you may it, revisit it from time to right, time, but right. yeah. Like going back to Exodus, like I said earlier, when, when Israel leaves Sinai and they get past the Red Sea experience, there's a different context now. Mm-hmm. They're not in Egypt anymore. And so I have to readdress the context. Whereas mm-hmm. here, I've established it. We've been through several several Sundays now in, in First Peter. So the people that are listening, they know kind of where we are. It's a first century church um, listening to the words of the Apostle Peter somewhere around 60 AD. And so I don't have to readdress that. Um, the time I spend is usually in relationship to how familiar I am with the text to begin with. So if there's a text that I've already preached and studied ex- ex- extensively, I won't have to do as much work on it. Mm. But if it's a brand new text, like when I get to baptism next year, First Peter chapter 3, mm-hmm. you and I may have, have a podcast <laughs> about that, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time because that's the one text mm-hmm. that many people go to for baptismal regeneration. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to be very careful about how I address that. I haven't, um, I haven't dove into it really deep just yet. I will get to that in the fall. Because uh, we're putting a pause on First Peter, we're going to go to going to go to Psalms this summer. Why do you assume you're going to have to have this out with me? I just I heard from, I heard from your co your your co-host <laughs> that you and I could have to have a talk. He actually joked that I should let you preach that sermon, but I said no, I'm not going to do that. Oh yeah, don't. No, I will happily I'll turn you I, loose. I have I have appreciated the when you've allowed me to preach, uh-huh. but yeah, I would not recommend me preaching on that one. Not not tech, no. <laughs> I get everybody fired anyway. 
Anyway, so so it's so I don't have a set number of hours I have to spend in the text. Sometimes when I'm studying something, it just it just jumps off the page. I'm like, mm. that's it. That's what that's what God wants me to say. There are other times where it's Saturday night and I'm still wrestling. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm in my office Sunday morning putting the putting finishing it together. touches, putting yeah. it together, going, I have no idea if this is even gonna work. Well, that's interesting. Do you find have okay? Uh, let me formulate a question here. The, do you notice any difference in the delivery of ones that just it comes at you naturally versus the ones that you labor over and you're still working on morning of? Yeah. So if it's something that jumps off the page, it's usually connected to something that I'm passionate about naturally or I've just studied before and it just gets me excited. Mm-hmm. And so I could probably preach that sermon without any notes. I could okay. get up there in that you moment. You could spurge in it. I could just, just an go, outline. Yeah, exactly. Just like a few points and I could just go 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. There are other times where I feel like I'm forcing it. Mm. And I hate that feeling. I feel like I feel so lost. I feel like I, I'm, I'm in the ocean and I have these like three pound bricks around my feet. They're not super heavy, mm-hmm. but they're doing just enough to drag me down. And I don't know if what I'm going to say on Sunday is going to make any sense to anybody because it doesn't seem to make sense to me right now. Mm. But what's a miracle is... Those Sundays, after I spend more time prep, prepping for those sermons anyway, mm-hmm. and someone will come up to me and tell me, Pastor, that meant a lot to me. Thank you so much. I'm like, I had no idea if this was going to work at all. <laughs> and so the, the, I usually give myself about six or eight hours a week, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, that includes reading, meditating on it, kind of all different factions are, are par- parts of it. Um, but it just depends on the text, if I'm familiar with it or not. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm glad you got there because my first instinct was the ones that you l- are laboring over mm-hmm. day of yeah. end up being more, I, I, for fear of sounding charismatic, mm-hmm. but just more spirit filled yeah, yeah, and more impactful on your people. I have felt that way at times where I feel like, look, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. You got to do this, you know, and that's true of every sermon. But there's sometimes where I, I, I feel very confident that what I'm about to say is exactly what God wants me to say. Mm. There are other times where I feel like I'm just like, okay, Lord, do something with this because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a, like a, like a wing and a prayer kind of thing. Right. Although I'll spend more time on it than I have of, of the other texts. Yeah. Um, and so God works that miracle out somehow every week. Mm. And I do find that I may preach a little bit more, not extemporaneously in those moments, but I may just kind of cut loose from the notes a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Just let it come flow through me, and there there is a, a certain kind of power in that. I've, I've sensed God working. Um, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> it so could bomb. It's, yeah. yeah. It's just it's not a miserable feeling, but it's a helpless feeling sometimes. Yeah. But I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, mm-hmm. You have to depend on the Lord and the Spirit to make these words make sense to the hearts of the people that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So one more question, and then I'll ask you to actually briefly talk the about text. the text. Okay. Yeah. Um. I am curious, and it's kind of an odd question, but I am curious what sort of emotions you go through leading up to a sermon. I think you've briefly touched on yeah. just now, um, sometimes you're really sweating it. And so there's probably yeah. some anxiety. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. But yeah, what, what sort of emotions do you experience throughout the week? So, if, And it's what's interesting to me, sorry to interrupt, no. but what's interesting to me is it never lets up. No, week after never, week, never. you experience what you're about to say. You don't get a break. Yeah. No. Um if it's something that that I, is so last time I'm interrupted, that is if you are a a genuine overseer of the soul, a yes. genuine shepherd yes. is going to really feel this what yes. you're about to say week yeah, after yeah. week. So I there's a certain degree which I agonize over everything that I say mm. because I'm a perfectionist. 
and I want it to be perfect. And it never is perfect. There's always, like, I think Spurgeon actually said, I've never loved any sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> right. of, of all the preachers who could say that. The prince of preachers. Yeah, but yeah. it's just like he just never satisfied because there's things he didn't say or should have said better. And so I feel that way often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to I try to hear it in the way that my people will hear it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the unique things about, a, about, a, about being a preacher or even a teacher or really anything. You will spend an inordinate amount of time on one thing that the people listening has spent no time on. Yeah, right. And so you're communicating from a very deep level mm-hmm. to people who this is the first time they're ever hearing it. Right. So you've heard the, the illustration maybe of like great basketball players who couldn't coach, uh-huh. right? They could do it themselves, but they couldn't get to the point where they could teach other people to do it well. Bring along with me. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's this sense where I feel sometimes really helpless in that I know so much about this text and all these extra things I could say, mm-hmm. but I have to give my people something that they can use today and the, and the rest of this week. Yeah. And so it has, you have to kind of draw it back together. So I try to feel what I think they're going to feel by hearing it for the first time. Mm. Now, there are sometimes subjects I have to address that are very sensitive. Like I addressed a serious subject this past week with Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. and I essentially denounced it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know some of my people may not like to hear that. But I had to say it because it's 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 not directly addressed in the text, but I felt like the text was leaning us in that direction. Mm-hmm. We have to address this going on in our culture right now. Properly applying the yeah, honoring the emperor. Exactly. Text. Yeah. Exactly. And so I know sometimes when I speak about about particularly like cultural issues that people have differing opinions on, mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna feel a little bit more cautious about that. One phrase you always say that I really appreciate is that you know, if it feels like I'm trying to step on your toes, I'm not. I'm aiming for the I'm heart. I'm aiming for your heart. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to offend you unless it's a gospel offense that brings you back to Christ or to Christ. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested in being provocative for the sake of being provocative. Some pastors love that. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I want you to see Jesus. And if I can get you to look at Christ for the first time or again for the millionth time, that's my goal is yeah. to draw you closer to Christ. And that's the work of the Spirit working through the the, the preacher. Um, but sometimes when I'm preparing, I get emotional. Like I'll tear up sometimes thinking about what I'm going to say. I tear up when you tear up. And how yeah. it, it powerful it is for me. Like this mm-hmm. week, we're in First Peter to kind of transition. Yeah. Um, by his wounds, you are healed. Yeah. Wow. Like th- those words out of Isaiah are just like that. That's a sermon in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But in that text, Peter is addressing to start with slaves and ma- or servants and masters but primarily he's talking about suffering as servants of bad masters. Yeah. So the application or kind of on the surface would be like, we don't have servants and masters now like they did then, mm-hmm. but you do have bosses and employees, yeah. employers and employees. And there's a connection there between how you work. Mm-hmm. And if you have to have a good boss, or maybe you have a bad boss, mm-hmm. you know, but deep in a more, a more, a more deeper way, a deeper way. Um, it's about suffering for doing good. And yeah. it's not just at your work, but in all parts of life. Right. Peter asked, why should you suffer for doing evil? That's what's going to happen because you've done evil. Mm. But if you suffer for doing good, you're following in the steps of Jesus, right? This is what Christ did. And then he begins to explain how Jesus suffered well to the point of dying on the cross to pay the penalty of the sins of, of sinners like us. Yeah, I want to read that text, yeah, actually. <clears throat> so it's First Peter chapter 2. Mm-hmm. I'll start in verse 22, and I'll read to yeah. 25. And so this is where Peter is relating the suffering you were just referring to Mm -hmm. uh, under bad bosses to what Jesus did for everyone. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, 
he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Man, those... Those verses, there's like it leads me to worship every time. Yeah, this is so that is beautiful. the gospel. There's like a dozen sermons in these words right here. Yeah. So beautiful. So in wrapping up, sorry yeah, yeah. to cut you yeah, short, yeah. but could you give um, just like a summarized version of your of your what your sermon's going to be this um, week? I think um, if you back up to verse twenty, mm-hmm. um, but if when you do good. Mm. and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The if-when verse is really important. And even if you go back up further, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering. So being mindful of God um, when you suffer. And I think it's a guarantee. Like, it's going to happen to us in some way, particularly if you're you're following Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the way I would summarize it would be when you suffer, suffer well by following in the steps of Christ. Wow, and yeah. this, this is how you do it. He's not going to call you to die on the cross for the sins of others because that's only been done once. Um, but you might be wounded for mm. your for your faithfulness to the Lord. Um, the good the good news is that we have a shepherd who's overseeing our souls. Yeah, and so we can suffer well because Christ entrusted Himself to the one who judges justly, not to unfaithful or bad judges. And so that's kind of the thrust I'll go with, with that this week. Absolutely, yeah. and that's that's what we want to do today. Mm. We want to be like Jesus, that when others wrong us, um, we suffer well, and we glorify God in the process. And until next time, may the Lord make us a channel for His peace.